Ever feel like you've been in one of those? Not physically, but sometimes emotionally or relationally in a lot of different ways. Now, we're in Acts 27 this morning. We're going to talk about Paul being in a storm, in a shipwreck, and on a ship in an environment like that. I watched that clip. Jason and I went through a number of clips to talk about storms and be able to visualize that. There's some really incredible, powerful storms that people have lived through and survived. And it's fascinating to watch. But when you see a setting like that or a situation like that, I found myself wondering how on earth did Jesus ever sleep in the bottom of the boat when the disciples were going through a storm like that? Well, I'll tell you how. Along the lines of what I'm going to be sharing this morning. A lot of times you don't always see the storms coming. Sometimes you can look out on the horizon and you see the clouds getting black and the sky getting dark and you know something's coming. Other times you don't always see them coming. Out of the blue they appear. All of a sudden that storm cloud comes on you pretty fast. You may have seen it coming. You may have not. You didn't plan it, didn't want it, never thought about it, didn't see it, but it happened. Now, this morning we're going to talk about physical storms in a storm, in a boat like that. But you know and I know they're not always those kind of storms. Sometimes it's the doctor just called and you have cancer. Sometimes the mom or the dad or the person in your life who is your rock died. You didn't plan it, didn't think it, never saw it coming, couldn't even imagine it. But the person that was the closest to you is gone. Cancer, divorce, an affair, a sudden change in jobs, a child runs away, a teen gets arrested, a death in your family. Storms of life can overpower us or they can make us stronger. Why do they happen? What do we learn from them? How can we grow in them? Are all some of the lessons we're going to look at this morning out of Acts 27. Kind of wrapping up our series on the book of Acts. Next Sunday morning, I will be in Long Beach, California at the Alliance Gathering of all CNMA pastors and missionaries around the world. Once a year, once every other year now, conference that pastors and missionaries and lay people go to. Some of our staff is going to be there. And so I kind of wanted to wrap up the book of Acts. And I looked at the context and the layout over the last few weeks and really felt this sermon was applicable. And you'll understand even more so why in a few moments. But I wanted to share this particular message with you as we wrap up Acts because it is so powerful and so many things to learn out of this particular section of Scripture that if you're just reading through it and trying to get to the book of Acts or end of the book of Acts, you may miss it. But reading a book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping, and he makes a statement in one of the last few chapters at the beginning of the chapter and said, if I were surveying people, I would have found and I have found that people who don't believe in God, the number one reason they choose not to follow him is suffering. They don't understand why a God who is the God of the universe would allow suffering to take place or difficulty in the lives of people, let alone followers of Christ. The number one reason that people don't come to faith in Christ is suffering. He also said, in my survey, I found and asked people who believe in God when they grew the most and the number one answer in their lives was what? Suffering. The same thing either pulls us in or repels us. One of the things that we've often said when we come to the Christmas and Easter story is you cannot remain neutral when it comes to faith in Christ. You cannot remain neutral to Jesus. He will either draw you in or push you away, and you see that all the way through Scripture. And when you look at the environment of life and humanity and all the things that go on around us, either that will push you away or draw you in. 
This morning I want to talk about some of the things in Paul's life in this journey that he learned through the process and I think some things that we can learn when we go through the storms of life. Because they're inevitable for all of us. Whether we like them or not, whether we wish they went away, whether we wish they didn't come, they're inevitable. They're not always that big, thank God for that. They're not always that rough, sometimes not always that difficult, and for many people, not even that frequent. For others, you feel like, I just got through one, and now another one's coming. I didn't think I could survive, but somehow, in the grace of God, I got through this. I'm hoping for a rest for a while before I go through another one. My wife always, uh, has always said, especially when she was going through a lot of deaths in her family, I understand what God wants to teach me in the school of life. I just need recess once in a while. I just need a, a respite, maybe a summer vacation, and then I know I'm going to go back into the school of learning. In chapter 27 of the book of Acts, Paul's going to find himself in a missing, in a, in a storm. A lot of the things he went through were possibly a distant memory. In Acts 19, when people were healed everywhere he went and people came to faith in Christ and wiped the sweat off his brow and threw it out into the crowd and people were healed, is not going to occur in chapter 27 or in the preceding chapters before that. Paul's going to find himself in a whirlwind of activity and confrontations and trials. Going to find himself as a prisoner. Doing more than anything else, sharing the faith that God has given him, but knowing there's a lot of uncertainty that is in front of him. In the middle of it all, God reminds him of his grace and love. In chapter 23, verse 11, while he's in jail at one point, it says, The Lord stood near him and said, Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you will also do that in Rome. Paul, you're going to go and do what you asked to do and what you want to do and what I want you to do, and I just need you to know nothing is going to stop it. What's fascinating in that context, the very next morning after God appeared to him, which fascinates me in regards to God's timing, it says some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath that they wouldn't eat or drink until they had killed Paul. But it didn't stop him. Chapter 23 to 25, you'll see that two Roman governors and a Jewish king couldn't stop him. And today you'll see that a storm and a shipwreck couldn't stop him. This time it's not an angry mob or hatred of people. It is a storm physically And you're going to see even more than that, what he learns from it. Acts 27, beginning at verse 1. If you have your Bibles, I think it's on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to be there. There's some sermon notes in your bulletin, so please take them out. It's an opportunity for you to take some things home with you so that you can look at some of these verses later and look at the principles that apply. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship about to sail for the ports around the coast of Asia. The next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius in his kindness allowed Paul to go with some of his friends so that they may provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again, passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the ocean sea, open sea to the coast of Ciliad Pamphylia, we landed at Myrna and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board to that. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sneas. When the wind didn't allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite of Salome. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because it was now the day after atonement. So Paul warned the men, I can see that our voyage is not going to go well, going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and the cargo and maybe to our own lives. 
But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was in unstable, was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. When a gentle and south wind blew, they started, saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. In Paul's day, storms were obvious. It was something the sailors had to deal with on a regular basis. There was no compass to guide their way. They couldn't see the weather map in front of them to know when a storm was coming. They didn't have radars like you and I would see today. They didn't have their iPhones or the iPads so that they could know what was going to happen. They just set sail. They knew where they wanted to go. If the wind seemed calm and they knew the direction they were headed, they got off and left. And then all of a sudden when they got in the middle of it, they didn't have a motor that could change directions. They just simply rode it out and hoped they would survive. Ever been there? You go through the storm of life, you didn't see it coming, you didn't know where it came from, but you know it's here now, and you're just hoping to ride it out and hope you survive. That's exactly what it was like for them. Storms are used a lot in songs and poetry to describe the ups and downs of life, or life sometimes out of control. Paul as a prisoner is on this ship, and it's not the Queen E, and it's not Carnival Cruise Lines. It's a prison ship. Usually a cargo ship. They didn't even always go the direction you wanted to go. If you see the context here, it was almost like there's a ship going in this direction, so we're going to get on it for a while, and then there's another one going this direction, so we'll take that one. It's almost like hitchhiking by ship. And it certainly wasn't the best ship you can imagine. There were prisoners on it. The winds were unpredictable, especially in the fall when the ship was probably sailing, which verse 9 seems to indicate it does. And then it happens. Verse 13. General and south wind began to blow. They saw the opportunity, so the wet anchor and went. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and couldn't head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee, a small island of Acadia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. When they passed ropes under the ship to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship just simply be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm was continually raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up and said, Look, men, you should have taken my advice and not sail from Crete. You would have spared yourselves in this damage and loss. But I urge you to keep up your courage because not a one of us will be lost. The ship will only be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, whom I belong to, appeared and stood beside me and said, Paul, do not be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Lessons from the sea of life on your sermon notes this morning. First one is just simply this, and you already, I'm sure, know that. Storms happen. It can hit any of us at any time. Sometimes they are choices that we make. Sometimes they're the choices that others make that you'll see in a moment. And many times they're just simply a part of life. As the bumper sticker says, stuff happens to good people and bad people. Even if you didn't know it, didn't plan for it, never thought it coming, none of us escaped them. No matter how hard we try, no matter how spiritual we are, no matter how often we pray, bad things many times happen to good people. Life is not always smooth sailing. And if you think it will always be, you'll be disappointed, disillusioned, and maybe even unprepared. 
Because sooner or later, a storm will hit. Not always that large, not always that enormous, not always that devastating, but at some point, it will appear. So my hope is through the process of understanding who we are and what God's doing in our lives and can do in our lives, we can be prepared. I'm not saying any of this to make you paranoid so that you're looking around and waiting for the cloud to come or waiting for the shoe to drop or waiting for that phone call or wondering when it's going to ring and sit on the edge of your life or the edge of your seat waiting for that bad thing to happen. I'm not saying that at all. And I never want to live life like that. I'm saying it because it's a part of life and it's filled with ups and downs. And not everyone goes through those kind of bad moments, but they really are a part of life. So, in your notes, since storms are a part of life, I want to avoid the ones I can. In other words, there are some storms that are directly related to the choices that I make. Not the physical storms or the wind storms or the water storms that we saw a moment ago, but there are some storms that are directly related and some events in our life that are directly related to the choices that I make. Some are a part of life, some are caused by other people that we'll see in a moment, and some are caused by the choices that I make. So, I want to make wise choices. In light of that, I don't take chances on the train track. I don't see if I can beat the signs going up. I don't run red lights. Paul said in verse 9, we shouldn't go. If we go in this direction, there's going to be consequences. And so, because I know that, I want to make sure that I do the best that I can to avoid the ones that I can most of us own computers, right? What's one of the worst things that can happen to your computer? A virus or crashing or that blue screen of death, someone calls it. But one of the worst things that can happen to your computer is a virus. One of the most sophisticated computers on the planet is in your brain. And that mental computer is no different than the electronic one. It has to be protected from deadly viruses that can infiltrate your software and cause expensive damage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, write it down somewhere. Peter said, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Not just against your life or against you emotionally, but war against your soul. In light of knowing that's going to happen, there are certain things that I cannot do. They're wrong desires that start. And if I allow them to remain, they're going to destroy who I am. And whatever it is that feeds those destructive desires is a virus in my mind or my heart that I can't afford to allow to be there. So no matter how exciting it sounds, no matter how interesting it may appear to be, there are certain things in life, knowing what the price is, I cannot do. There are things in life that you can't afford to watch. Maybe somebody else could. But you know yourself well enough to know that there are certain things in life I shouldn't watch. There are things in life that I shouldn't listen to. There are places that I can't afford to go. There are things that you shouldn't read. There are people's advice you shouldn't listen to. Right? They can be a poison that can destroy your soul and eventually your life. And those viruses get planted in our heart and they literally block the flow of God's power in our life much like the plaque in an artery blocks the blood flow from getting through. And if we allow those things to remain, it blocks off what God wants to do in our lives or what we can do for God. But if we clear them out, it's amazing what God can do in our lives and through our lives if we allow that stuff to be disseminated out of our life or not allow it to come in to begin with. If you continue to stay in that chat room, you could be in trouble. If you go back and see what that girl looks like now in high school who was so hot, who turned me down on a number of occasions, but I would really like to know if she aged well, you ought not to do that. 
If you think that guy was so sharp, you ever go to a high school reunion after 40 years and find the people that you thought were really sharp aren't, and the people that you never thought would amount to anything are now running CEO organizations? And that girl or that guy that you think was so interesting then, I just probably ought not to find out what they're doing today or where they're at today. Now, there are acquaintances and relationships you want to keep up with, but there are certain times when you know the Spirit of God says you not ought to go there. You neglect your mate and you may lose him or her. You don't tell your daughter that you love her, she'll find someone who will. You keep using those drugs or alcohol, you could kill yourself or someone else. You spend money foolishly and you end up deep in debt. And what fascinates me in the process and sometimes frustrates me is when people come to me saying, well, you pray that God somehow gets me out of this mess that you got yourself into. And I will. I'll pray for them and walk with them through the journey. But I want to say to them, look, there were a lot of road signs along the way and a lot of danger signs along the way that you should have avoided. A curve is coming. A hill is coming. No guardrail. Whatever it may be, you saw them there and you avoided them. You ignored them. You kept on going down this path. And now you're coming to me to try to somehow help get you out of that process. And if I don't get you out of it and God doesn't bail you out of it, you're disappointed me and him and I'll be there I'll do whatever I possibly can but it intrigues me how many times we saw the mile markers we saw the guideposts we saw the the warning signs and continue to get down that track and now we're in a mess you decide to push the envelope sexually you end up with a disease or a baby you're not ready for outside of marriage You run the red light, you may crash. It won't be a punishment, but a shipwreck just the same. You have an affair, and I'm telling you right now, it could cost you everything. Proverbs 6, write it down somewhere along the way, and then go back and look at it. Proverbs writer said, I want to tell you this right now. Guys, you have an affair, it'll cost you everything you have. Everything you have. And obviously, it's not just talking about finances. You choose to divorce, and a lot of people get hurt. Well, God told me it was okay to get divorced. No, he didn't. He never speaks contrary to his word. And the issues your children will have to deal with are enormous. Now, I'm not talking about abuse at all. And, and I have had that in the last 20 years, way more than I would have had in the first 20 years of my ministry of life. I'm not talking about living with a person who abuses. Matter of fact, if you know a guy or you're living with a guy who hits a woman, you let them come and see me because I have some friends that are going to have a long talk with him. And it'll be a come to Jesus moment. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some of the decisions that we make and a lot of other people in the process pay the price. Now, if you're divorced, please don't misunderstand me. I am not trying to hurt you again. What I'm trying to do is warn those who are on very dangerous grounds. Number three, some shipwrecks we deal with in life are not because of the choices we make, but they're choices other people make. They're the choices that other people make And because of that, I end up with the fallout. (laughs) Paul was being careful. He warned them. He said, don't do this. Don't go this direction. But they went, and Paul had to deal with the consequences of someone else's decision. Been a great husband, a great wife, and your mate comes to you one day and says, I I just don't love you anymore. I need you to know I'm seeing someone else. Nothing you did at all. Nothing you intended to have ever happened. But your life is shipwrecked just the same. Someone else drives a car drunk and now you're paying for the rest of your life or with your life. Police officer with a few children just 
two weeks ago. Run into head on, and his whole world changed. Kids make wrong choices, and many times the parents are the ones who have to pay the price, right? We need to remember that our choices affect other people. Choices I make affect my wife, my girls, my family, my career. People watch my life, and the choices I make affect a lot of others. Are we free to choose? We are. I'm just saying we need to understand that our choices have an impact on other people around us. Could be positive. Certainly can be negative. Write a couple of verses down in your notes there somewhere along that particular line. I don't think they're in there. No, write down Genesis 35, 9. Fascinating story, and I won't go into it now because of time. But it's a story of Joseph. There are some incredible Old Testament characters that I'd love to explore in our next journey uh, for a while. It's a story of Joseph, and that verse says this. On account of Joseph's faithfulness and his obedience, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house and Joseph's family was blessed and spared. On account of Joseph's obedience, others were blessed. Write down Genesis 13 is the opposite of that. It's a story of Lot. Lot was a part of Abraham's family. They couldn't get along well. Their servants didn't get along well. So Abraham said, I'll make you a deal. There are two areas that we can go in. You choose which one you'll go in and I'll go in the opposite. And Lot looked down, saw this place is great, awesome. I should go there. I'm going to take my family there. Happened to be Sodom and Gomorrah. And the choice that he made in that particular context affected everybody else. The choices you make, even in careers, can have a hugely beneficial impact on your family or can have a negative. So choose really well. Choices have effect. And I'm responsible for my choices and decisions, so I want to make sure that I choose wisely, not choosing stupidly, hoping God will somehow bail me out. We cannot take life haphazardly. Got to be smart about the choices I make and the decision that I make. Can I have fun? Absolutely. I'm not talking about being a monk or a hermit. I'm just talking about responsibility and thinking about others and the impact of the choices that I make. There's a line in your sermon notes I want to make sure you get clearly and you fill in the blanks because I need to remind you of this and maybe just for a one or two of you in here this morning. I want to remind you that if you've made bad choices and you've repented and sought God's forgiveness, do not let your past rob you of a great future. If indeed you've made some bad choices and you've come to faith in Christ and you've repented of that, you must not let the past keep haunting you or dragging you down because you don't have to. The sermon that Joe gave a few weeks ago, I mean, you cannot help but remember that when he talked about our past and the forgiveness of God and what that looks like in all of our lives, how when God forgives us and we come to him and ask for forgiveness and then we come back to him and say, God, do you remember that thing I asked you forgiveness for? And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, if the God of the universe, the God of the universe can forgive me of my sins, why can't I? And why would I ever want my past to impact my future when I know it can be forgiven in Christ. Now, if the storms are because of someone else's choices, quit blaming and look for solutions. But if indeed I've made some bad choices, I've paid the price of that, and I've come to God for forgiveness, continue on. Don't let the past haunt you. Don't let it hold you back. Don't let it drag you down. Don't let it keep you from being all that God's designed you to be. If the God of the universe can forgive us, why can't we? Now, I know you have that question, I'm sure, with other people. If the God of the universe can forgive me, why can't you when you're asking forgiveness? But it's one of those powerful truths that I've seen so lived out. And so often, so sadly, I've seen people let their past haunt them, 
forever and never move ahead with God when he so graciously offered forgiveness and grace and freedom. So if indeed they're inevitable, if indeed sometimes they can be because of choices I make and sometimes because of the choices that others make, what do I do in the midst of all of them? Well, three things are in your bulletin this morning. I can either drift along. I can either just go with the flow and hope it works itself out somewhere along the way and hope that I somehow survive. I can crash and burn, and many people will do that. They know bad choices they've made. They know what it costs. They know the price, and they just simply continue to give in to them until they crash and burn. Or I can find some real solid anchor points in my life that I hold on to with everything I have to keep me from drifting or dashing against the rock or the waves. There are a couple of places in there that I hope you've already jotted some things down or certainly will tonight when you get home. And more specifically, not large things, but specific things. Maybe it's a person. Maybe there's that one person in your life who's been your anchor in the midst of all the ups and downs that you've faced. And if you have not done it before, if you have, that's awesome. But if you've not done it before, jot them a note, send them a text or an email, or even better, go see them in person. If you have to call them, that's fine. But just say, look, it's been a long year or a rough month or a really tough 10 years. But man, you have been my rock. Hope it's your husband or your wife, a friend, a mom, a dad, somebody in your life that has so been there in all the ups and downs in life. Now, maybe you've already told them, and I hope you have. But if not, man, today would be a great day to say, remember the sermon this morning and all the ups and downs and the storms of life? You have been my concern. No idea why this keeps doing this. You have been my consistent rock, and I just want to thank you so much for that and for being there. Now, hopefully one of your rocks is your anchor of faith, who God is and what he has done. I'm going to talk about it even more specifically at the end of the message, but one of the things I noticed when God dealt with the Israelites, he constantly talked to them about where he was taking them, but they couldn't see it. They had never been there before. It's not like they could go home, look it up on a computer, and find out what Canaan looked like. Or find out what the promised land was all about. It's not like they could do a Google search and say, wow, that place is really awesome. Even when the 12 spies went in and said, hey, this place is amazing, they, half of them or most of them believed the 10 who was lying about it all. Or what God could do in the middle of it. But one of the things he kept saying to them over and over again, even if you're uncertain about the future, let me give you some great advice. Look at what I've done in the past and look at what I'm doing now. Even if you don't know where it's going, you don't know what it's going to look like, I'm asking you to trust me even though you can't see the end results. Let me give you some great advice. Rehearse the past and look at the present. And he said that over and over and over again to the Israelites. As a matter of fact, he said to them, not only you rehearse it for yourself, tell your kids. Tell your children of the next generation what you've seen God do. Because my biggest fear is when you finally get into all of that and see the promised land, you'll forget what I have done. So tell it over and over and over again. Because when you're in the middle of the uncertainty, you forget what God has done. And you forget what he is doing. You only look at what you don't understand. And that anchor of faith gives me the opportunity to hold on to what I know is true and hold on to what I know he has done, even if I'm uncertain about where he is going and what's going to do to me. That's why God told the Israelites over and over and over again to remember. Family, friends, that individual in your life, as I said a moment ago, that one consistent person all of your life that has always been there, that you know you can always count on, 
that you have the opportunity to tell them. The lady that I mentioned last Sunday morning in the sermon, we had that wonderful gift of being able to say what a great prayer warrior and prayer partner she has been, died Monday night. And so when I realized the timing of, timing of God and I had that gift of being able to talk to her on Friday, completely coherent, perfectly normal, wonderful conversation, and two days later she walks into the presence of Almighty God. Tell that person how meaningful they've been to your life and what they've done in your life. Your church, uh, your faith in Christ, the depths of your roots. You know and I know in the midst of the storms of life, the trees with the deepest roots are the ones that survive. Hopefully your anchor is the word of God. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. I know it. I know it's there. I've hidden it there. It's the guide of my life. You very seldom go through a crisis with the Bible in your hand. Do you ever notice that? You very seldom go through a crisis with the Bible in your hand or when you're in church listening to a message or the words on a screen. So you want to make sure that you have it here. Well, I can't memorize like I used to. Sure you can. Just take short snippets of it then. We can all do what we really set our minds to do. We can accomplish what we really set our minds to accomplish. You can learn small sections of Scripture. So when you're going through those deep, dark moments of life, they're coming back to you like neon signs and there are lights in the middle of the darkness. And you hold on to them with everything you have. The promises of God, Deuteronomy 31, Hebrews 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there beside you. Romans 8, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And then in case we don't know what nothing looks like, he defines it and details it. And those verses are in there for you this morning to remind us of the depths of God's love for us and what he does for us. Isaiah 54, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Reminders in the storms of life. Storms develop character and storms reveal character. And those are really two powerful statements. They develop character, going back to the statement that I made a moment ago from John Orberg, and they reveal character. They really do show what you're made of. They'll show whether you really do have deep roots or they're pretty shallow. I've seen that in marriages. I've seen that in churches. Where the shallowest people run. The deep ones stand firm and solid. Storms develop character. They reveal character. They really show what we're made of. They cannot hide the face of God or ever hinder his purpose. They always and many times will give us the opportunity to share our faith. How on earth did you go through this? How do you survive that? How did you deal with that? What, what was... What was that was my fault. What was going on in your mind and heart at that moment that you were able to deal with that the way you did? And it's that perfect platform. It's like they set the table for you to witness. You don't have to get up in the morning saying, God, please give me an opportunity to witness. I want to share my faith. The table's been set because they want to know how you ever got through that and how you dealt with that and what you learned from that. And you had the opportunity to share with them what you found in Christ. And finally, I just need to say this and say it well in a couple of different ways. God doesn't panic even when we do or maybe even a better way if God doesn't panic why should you when Aaron was in Israel a number of years ago and I think I've told you the story a couple of times Israel broke out with another war it's hard to believe that they would have had another one another war with the neighboring 
nations around them and finally got a hold of her because it wasn't as easy as it is today. And she said, a lot of the students have left. Their parents have called them home. And I said, well, what are you doing? She said, well, we went up onto the roof of the school. You know how in Old Testament, New Testament, still today, they have these flat roofs that they go up onto. And she said, we watched the rockets being launched over into the Golan Heights and coming back and forth. And I said, well, aren't you coming home? She said, well, I read that verse in Scripture where it says, if neither God, God watches over Israel, and because he does that, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. So I thought, if God's awake, I might as well go to bed. And when your kids use Scripture against you, you have no argument that you can share. And so we let her stay, and it was one of the most remarkable experiences of her life. God never panics. He doesn't stand around wringing his hands saying, never saw that one come. Gabe, did you see that coming? Angel, come here, come here. Did you see that? I, I missed that one. I don't know where I was. If God doesn't panic, why should we? He knows exactly what he's doing, why he's doing it, when he's doing it. He knows the outcome. All he says, stand firm. One of our staff members has uh, an opportunity to share with us this morning, Justin, wants to tell you about what God's doing in his life and the next step in their journey. And he wanted to share it with you this morning personally, and then I want to come back up and share some remarks in regards to that. One of the most uh, well-known passages in Scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. This is a truth principle that has become very real for me personally recently. I've served in full-time ministry now for 15 years, and while I still sense God's calling on my life for full-time ministry, I'm currently trusting God for a time of refreshment and refocusing in my ministry. I believe that I need this time so that I can finish well in my ministry career. So after months of prayer, fasting, and seeking some professional Christian counseling, Heidi and I have decided to step down from full-time ministry just for a season. I'm suggesting that Sunday, May 31st, be my last Sunday here at CAC. I believe this will give adequate time to assist in the transition. I ask that you receive this as my formal resignation as the Director of Worship Ministries at Community Alliance Church. Our goal is, of course, to step back into full-time ministry eventually. But we believe this sabbatical is important for us to walk through in order to fully accomplish God's call of ministry on our lives. Heidi and I know this is a bold and courageous decision uh, that we made, but we are 100% in agreement with each other about it and are 100% sure this is exactly what the Lord is telling us to do. The path ahead isn't entirely clear, but Christ is our anchor. We're excited for what's in store for us ahead because we truly believe the Lord has something very special for us in the future. What we'll be doing is uh, packing up next month and moving in with my parents in Little Rock, Arkansas. They've graciously taken us in with the hopes that we'll leave after a while. (laughs) At the moment... I have no promise for a job when we arrive there, so I ask that you pray that I find a job. I also ask that you pray for our kids, ages 8 and 6. They're very excited about the move, but are also still sad to leave their friends behind. Pray that we're able to get them into one of the local Christian schools there for this next school year. 
Pray that the Christian counselor that I'm working with out of Chicago will have continued wisdom in guiding us through this next year of refreshment and refocusing. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be your worship pastor these last four and a half years. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to pour into the lives of the people here, especially the worship team family, as well as the men that have joined our men's ministry over the last couple of years. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Thank you. Last Tuesday, that note was on my desk, and so, Justin, I had the opportunity to talk about the future, the now, about us, about where we're going as a church, and we chose today specifically to share that with you so that you would be aware as well, and that would give you three more weeks to be able to share with them how much you've loved what they have done, what they have given, how much they've invested into us and the people around us, and then that 31st, I'll be gone next Sunday, but I will be back on Friday night, the 29th. And so I can be here that 31st as we wish them well and pray over them specifically. I'm totally aware that we are in a season of change. Not in a storm, but we are in a season of change. And I recognize that and know that. I think what sometimes we forget is for a long period of time in my 20-year history, we weren't and haven't been in this last year and we have. I'm convinced that God's in it all and he's continuing to lead us. And so one of the things I, as I pulled the staff together the other day, I said, One of the things that God has reminded me over and over again is what he has done in the past and what he is doing in the present. So even if I'm uncertain about the future, I am really confident in the past. Worship directors and senior pastors have a lot to do with what goes on on a Sunday morning. And so in the last 20 years, this is the fourth director that I've been able to work with and under. And we find it fascinating as we both explore the details that it's every five years. But I remember when Keith left, I was at a lost, and God brought Paul, and I remember having a conversation with Chuck Burr sitting back there in the booth saying, wow, this is such a huge change and another challenge and another direction. I'm trusting God for the future, but I don't know who it would be, and he constantly reminded me of what God was doing and what God would provide and how God would provide, and amazingly so, a few months later, he brings Justin along the way. In the middle of all of that, Chuck passed away, and he was one of my anchors, one of my rocks, And when he passed away, I had no idea what God was going to do in the middle of all that. And then he provided Jason Spink, who is phenomenal in the media department. And in these last two weeks, God has reminded me over and over again about what he has done, what he is doing. And I'm telling you, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. And I'm excited about that as well. Brad Shockey, who played guitar here this morning, has agreed to step into the interim process. And he will be leading us. On a regular basis, this, this last week, we hired a, an assistant director of children's ministries. Her name is Courtney, and she will be starting in a few weeks. This Wednesday night, the elder team get together, who have been one of the best elder teams I've ever worked with, and we're continuing to discern what God has for us in the future as well in regards to worship ministry. So we covet your prayers, and we look forward, to be really honest with you, we look forward to what God has done because he has done such an amazing job in our lives, is doing one can't wait to see what he's going to take us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of life and the gift of relationships, for bringing Justin and Heidi into our life. And three weeks from now, when we have the opportunity to pray over them and their family, we look forward to being able to send them off really well. 
We thank you for the investment he's had in so many lives along the way and the deep relationships that have been entrenched in some people's lives in these short four and a half years. And so we look forward to the finish well, and we trust that you will lead clearly, as he said this morning and we said this morning, pretty uncertain about what the future looks like, but really certain about the past and the present. And so I know he too is excited about the future because of what you've done in his life and our life and what we've seen as a church. So we look forward to what you will do as you will continue to lead us in this journey. And we ask that you will continue to bless them in really amazing ways. And that these last few weeks here will be an opportunity for us to share love and grace and show Jesus every step of the way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 31st of this month. Uh, hope If you're not here that day, we'd love for you to send them a note and let them know how much you've appreciated their ministry and what they've done. And that particular day, we'll be able to celebrate it and send them off really well. If indeed you're in the midst of the storm and you have no anger points, Christ is it. And I'd love to share that with you this morning before you leave. So while everyone goes that way, you come this way and let us pray over you or with you. If you're going through a storm and need some prayer, let us do that as well. God bless you. I'll see you here in a couple of weeks.